Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go, Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott, Rippy. Got the whole crew back in the Magnolia State, which is not necessarily a good thing. I mean, I guess everybody would have been either back or coming back today regardless, but everybody kind of made it back a little earlier uh, than we all had hoped. We are glad to have you along for the ride this afternoon, Sports Talk Brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, well, Mississippi Land Bank has been financing land for over 100 years, and they can help you if you're in North Mississippi. Whether it's buying a piece of property, buying a piece of equipment, refinancing an existing loan, getting a production loan, agribusiness loans, There are a lot of different things they can help you with. You can find a branch near you or people that you can talk to on their website, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, a presenting sponsor of Sports Talk. Glad to have you along. Let me give you a sample of what's coming up this afternoon. I feel like I need to speed read through this. Mississippi State loses to Liberty. Mississippi State women move on to the Sweet 16 with... Relative ease. Mississippi State baseball sweet, uh, takes two of three from Auburn in a crazy series. Ole Miss loses a series on the road at Missouri. We've got baseball scores from around the SEC. Southern Miss sweeps for the second week in a row in conference play. We'll talk to all three head baseball coaches at Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Southern Miss. Some NCAA tournament talk. An extortion case with a lawyer who's already famous with regard to Nike. And Gary Patterson wants the NCAA to just shut up or at least own what they're doing. We'll try to get to some of that, plus your texts on the C Spire text line. C Spire, customer-inspired. 601-879-4395, that's the number. What's up, Michael Borky? How you doing on a Monday? I'm good. We have a lot to get to today. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this when I started putting this together this morning. I don't think there was ever this amount of stuff we had to get to in one show. Like so we've had your job bigger was easy. Oh, this was the easiest rundown I've ever made because we could do four shows off of today's game recaps and content. Four mm, shows. Yeah, you're right. We could, but we've only got one show to get all of it in. In fact, the first text today on the Ceasefire text line six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Can y'all skip men's basketball recaps and just talk college baseball and women's basketball? No, we probably cannot do that. Rippy, how are you? You made it home okay? I did, I did. Doing well. Glad Good. to be kind of back home for a little bit, at least. How hey, was Dad, the I zoo? Really... I didn't make it to the zoo. I ended up leaving Saturday morning and rode home, so no zoo for me. But so as, as far as I know, the Collins Zoo is still better. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with that for now. 
Hey, Dan, I'm really glad for your sake that, you know, with a long flight across the country that really tends to eat up most of a day, which is what you had to do on Saturday, that you were able to just kind of come home and kick up your feet and relax yesterday. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. I, I, I feel I regret not going to that baseball game. But I did have a, a fun evening at the hump last night watching the ladies uh, advance to the Sweet 16 for the fourth straight year. I'm just going to be honest. I kind of assumed that that's like the first thing you did when you got back was you went immediately to the ballpark. So, well, good for you. You you, you missed out on a four-hour ba- uh, baseball game yesterday. But what an incredible baseball game, and we will try to recap it a little bit later this afternoon. Never much doubt last night, though, for uh, for Mississippi State and women's hoops as they advanced to another Sweet 16. Yeah, when they were down two nothing, I was I was getting a little nervous there, but no, it was, it was a pretty easy win for uh, for Mississippi State, and and what a great uh, final game at the hump for Tierra McCowan. Maybe one of her best games as, as a Bulldog was completely dominant, and uh, played with a lot of attitude last night. And now they'll head what was out her to final line? and see if they can make it three straight trips to the Final Four. What was her final line? Thirty, eleven, and six blocks. Wow. Yeah, I would say that uh, that that qualifies as a pretty good final performance at home at the Hump. And now uh, everybody is saying that uh, Mississippi State is hitting the Oregon Trail. They are headed to Portland, uh, where Oregon is the two seed and certainly will have a uh, home crowd when those two teams meet up if they both uh, continue to advance. That would be, what, an Elite Eight uh, matchup to try and get to the Final Four, right? Arizona State in the Sweet 16. Yeah, there we go. Um before, we're going to dive into basketball in a little while. Obviously, we talked uh, much of Friday's show about Ole Miss's loss to uh, to Oklahoma, but we were still in preview mode with regard to Mississippi State and Liberty. We'll get into that in just a minute. But, hey, Dad, I need a travel nugget or two. Give me something interesting from your trip to San Jose and back. I thought the, the, the my favorite moment of the trip was the final flight home from Houston to Birmingham because that was a 175-seat jet. And they had 80 passengers, and I got a whole row to myself. An entire? Was, did you like lie down on your row? No, but I sat in the middle seat. I raised both armrests, and I just spread out. It was great. Uh, that's 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 pretty good. So, so the most interesting thing that happened on your entire trip was getting a row to yourself on the plane on the final leg home. That was my, the most enjoyable part, I would think. I, I enjoy that. No, I mean, San Jose is a, a cool town. Uh, it's very scenic. When you, when you go around town and you see the mountains everywhere, the weather was great. Um, people were nice. Food was good. And uh, I thought the, the, the NCAA out there, you know, the people there were very, very accommodating and happy to have us out there. And just a short trip, a little shorter than I thought it might be. But that's just, you know, that's the NCAA tournament. You just don't ever know. Yeah, you, you don't ever know. Rippy, do you have a, a tale from the road that uh, is entertaining for all of us on a Monday afternoon? No, not really. All right. Um, okay. I mean, I already, okay. Time out. I, I, already, I already spilled mine on Friday with Nance being on my flight, but that's about it. We're, we're going to have to have a, like a, we'll just have the conversation on the radio. See, so you guys are the ones that are doing the traveling and doing the interesting stuff now for Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So when you guys go on the road, you got to go out of your way to find some interesting stories to bring back to the radio beyond box scores and wins and losses. I mean, I, I, I could do that. They had a casino in town, but I, I don't know that, you know, 
I don't even know how to begin to set up an expense report for the craps, the craps table. I don't know how to do that. Well, if you win, you don't expense it. If you lose, you say you got a meal there. There you go. That's a really expensive meal, is my guess. Uh, I, I think that might be uh, that might what be where he's going with all that. Yeah, finest steak in the history of the world. I had some sources I had to feed. You know, I mean, when, when you're when you're chasing stories, you got to do what you got to do. I'll remember that. Um. Maybe maybe a quick thought, hey Dad, before we we really dive in on the game on Friday night, and I'll start. Uh, let me start out by tipping my cap, and I've mentioned this before. Um, so we were in Philadelphia at the Golden Moon on Friday, and the ride home was anything but boring because you had Ole Miss baseball on the radio, you had Mississippi State men's basketball on the radio. You had Mississippi State baseball, presumably on the radio. I just couldn't find it because the men's basketball broadcast was taking up the majority of the Mississippi State affiliates. And then women's basketball was coming up a little bit later, but I made it home by the time they started, or close to it, on on Friday night. Neil Price and Richard Williams do a really, really good job. And and I have reached out to Neil and and said that to him specifically. Um, That was not an easy job to fill. Right, I mean, so so it was Jack uh, Jack Crystal, and then transitioned almost seamlessly into Jim Ellis because they had been together uh, for so very long. With Jim just doing baseball now, there were big shoes to fill in that play-by-play spot. And Neil Price has done an incredible job in in football and in basketball, and really is a joy to listen to. That was an entertaining basketball game. Set the result aside and set being a Mississippi State fan aside, or, or, or at least maybe that's the way I'm looking at it, as not having a specific tie to Mississippi State. It was an entertaining basketball game, and it lived up to the whole 5-12, 12-5 billing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you had that for the tournament. Three of the 12s won. Um and the atmosphere was great. I, you know, I went to the Pavilion this year to see State play Ole Miss. I went to Auburn to see State play them. And I thought that was the most hostile environment State played in all year because every neutral fan in that building was pulling for Liberty. Sure. So, yeah, great environment. And you mentioned Neil and Coach Williams. They do do a fantastic job. Coach Williams has, gives you that great insight that you can only have from the bench. And Neil, I mean, he's just really, really good. One of John Cohen's best hires uh, as athletic director. Yeah, I would agree with that. Take me a little deeper on the uh, – how how crowded was the building? When did it shift from, oh, we're just watching a game to, wow, they've got a chance? And, and how how loud did it get late? When, when State got up 10, uh, the next se- sequence down the court was where Peters fouls the guy on the three-point shot, uh-huh. and that's when the crowd, they got into it. And they stayed into it from, from that point on. And it was pretty full. It was pretty full at that point in, in, in the game, you know, because all the rest of the fans have made their way in. And, yeah, it was a uh, it was a very, very loud crowd. That's, that's a loud arena, pretty loud, you know, as far as, as basketball arenas. Of course, it's a hockey arena, not really a basketball arena. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the yeah. crowd was into it, and, and they made it difficult for Mississippi State. More coming up with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, on this Monday afternoon in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Cross, Borky, Haydad, and Rippy with you for the next three hours. Sit tight. 80 to 76 was the final on Friday night in San Jose. Mississippi State led by a deuce at halftime, 37-35. Then it was Liberty outscoring Mississippi State by six in the second half. 80 to 76, the final. 
Liberty picked up at that point their 29th win of the season. Mississippi State season came to an end at 23-11. and 11. A couple of quick notes from the game. Mississippi State, 27 points out of Quindary Weatherspoon in his final game as a Bulldog. He was 6 of 12 from the field, hit two threes, and was 13 of 16 from the free throw line. Lamar Peters had 21 points, including four made three-pointers, also had five assists in the game. Reggie Perry did not have a big night scoring, but he did have a double-digit rebounding night, so five points and then ten rebounds. And Robert Woodard the second might have played his best game of the season. Thirteen points, seven rebounds, had an assist as well in 26 minutes for Mississippi State. Bulldogs shot 48% from the field, a you know reasonable 36% from behind the arc. I think, and, and hey, Dad, I, I certainly am going to cede the floor to you and, and get out of the way. The uh, the Holmesley kid for Liberty, really ultimately the difference in the game, 30 points, 5 of 11 from behind the arc. And I think the difference in the game is the fact that Liberty shoots 48% from behind the arc, and they go 80%, 20 of 25 from the free throw line. Is that fair to say that that was the difference in the game? Very fair. Uh, we talked about it last week. We said that three ball was going to be the great equalizer for them and for them to go 12 of 25 was huge for them and then you mentioned the free throw shooting you know state was doing what it had to do to try to get back into the game they would make shots and then foul it's that you know when you're down that's all you can do but give credit to liberty they made all of their free throws down the stretch uh, and that was the difference and for me richard this was the first time i thought this team truly missed nick weatherspoon because he would have been the guy who drew the assignment at least when Holmesley started hitting shots, that's Howland would have made that adjustment and said, you need to guard him. And he's State's best on-ball defender. I think he would have done a, a pretty good job on that kid. And that might have been the difference in the game. So for me, this was the first time since Nick Weatherspoon was suspended that I felt like State truly missed him. So I was driving back and was trying to listen to it. So I, I, I didn't have the visual of, of kind of what Liberty's team looked, at, uh, looked like. I, I saw the last... Oh, I don't know, 45 seconds of the game. I think I pulled in my driveway and, and ran in to watch the very end of it. Who was the big boy, like the, the wide load? And I don't mean that in a derogatory way for Liberty. He was a wide load. He was a big, thick dude, but he didn't look like Taco Fall. Right. No, uh, Mayo Baxter-Bell, who, if I was Hugh Freeze, I would be calling that kid and seeing if he wants to make a transition to the gridiron. 6'5 and 255. Okay. Uh, you'll remember this guy from, from Florida, Dimitri Hill. Do you remember him? Uh, yeah. I hadn't thought of that Dimitri name Hill. in a really long time, but yes. That's who the first guy I thought of when that guy hit the court. I was like, man, that guy is – he's just – he's thick. There's no other way to put it. He, he you know, he, yeah. was, he had a really good game for them and uh, gave MSU a lot of trouble, which you would be surprised by. Like I said, he's only six foot five, but he had 13 points, had four rebounds and was just a, a guy that could sort of get the ball to down low and he could make something happen. So just a, they played a good game overall. I mean, when you shoot 46%, you shoot 48% from behind the arc. You know, State uh, only out-rebounded them by four despite having, you know, a big height advantage. I thought Liberty played a really good game. I, I, I was bouncing around between three different radio broadcasts coming home. So I, I was listening to the Mississippi State broadcast. I was bouncing over to check in on the score to the Ole Miss baseball game. And then I'd bounce over to satellite radio and catch some of the national broadcasts because they were kind of in and out on that. 
Um, was did it feel like there was a big momentum swing? It was at the stretch where Lamar Peters picked up his fourth foul, and like 15 seconds later, Quindary Weatherspoon picked up his fourth foul. Is that when it felt like legitimately Liberty had a chance to win? Yeah, and that's what I hit up in my article on supertalk.fm, that State goes up 10, and then within two minutes of that, the lead is down to, I think, seven, and Peters and Quindary Weatherspoon have their fourth fouls. And in postgame in the locker room and on the, uh, on the dais, Peters said that that was the moment where the game changed for them because State had been so successful driving to the basket and either getting buckets or getting to the free throw line and they had to stop that because they were afraid they were he he and Q were afraid they were going to pick up a fifth foul on a charge or something like that. And so State, rather than you know maybe say Tyson Carter or Robert Woodard taking over that role, State started to settle for perimeter shots and they just didn't fall. So yeah, you're right that that is the moment in there. Basically, the the, the foul on Peters where the uh, the three pointer doesn't go, but they get three free throws. That's what sparked the Liberty comeback. What do you do at the end of at the end of this season? So, if we rewind to October, early November, I, I think we all were willing to go on the record or, or willing to at least kind of ease out into the okay, it's an NCAA tournament or bust season. This is year four. It's year four of Quindary Weatherspoon. It's a roster that's got a lot of pieces returning. They made a run in the NIT a year ago. This was a team that needed to get to the NCAA tournament. Well, they did that. They, they got to the NCAA tournament. But that's all they did. And now Quindary Weatherspoon, who's just the third player in Mississippi State history to score 2,000 points in his career, is gone. You assume that Lamar Peters is going to be back? There certainly is a question mark besides Nick Weatherspoon's name, and Eric Holman is gone. So where are we going forward? And and I guess, forgive me for a lot of words, but the backdrop in asking this question is one of the frustrations ultimately with Rick Stansberry, and probably the reason that he's not the coach at Mississippi State anymore was it wasn't that he didn't get to the tournament. It was he didn't get past the first round or out of the first weekend right. of the tournament over and over and over, and so it felt like there was a ceiling. So what do we make now of where Mississippi State is as a basketball team? Program. Program, not team. Well, I mean, if you tell me that next year's starting lineup is Lamar, Pete, or Lamar, either Nick Weatherspoon or Tyson Carter, Robert Woodard, Reggie Perry, Abdullah Dew, and then Carter's, you know, one of the first guys off the bench with a DJ Stewart coming off a red shirt. I mean, that's a tournament team, in my opinion. I think they can get back to the tournament. You know, you, you asked the question about, you know, is there a ceiling? You know, State has the longest streak of any SEC school without a Sweet 16 appearance. They haven't been to one since the uh, Final Four. And hmm. that's you're right. I mean, that was a big reason there was so much pressure on Stansberry. And, of course, the program just sort of spiraled out of out from underneath his control in those final years. Sure. So with Howland, I mean, you got to give him another you know, give him another opportunity and see what happens if he can get back there again. And even if, if Peters and Weatherspoon don't return, Woodard, Carter, and, and Perry are a good enough nucleus. Now you'll have to hit you'll have to hit the grad transfer market to probably find a point guard or something like that. 
But I think that the program's in pretty good shape right now. It's 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 not self-sustainable yet. It's not reload. You know, they're going to have to do a little rebuild. But I feel good about where the program is under Howland. I don't feel great, but I feel good, if that makes sense. To the very end, there were people that continued to predict that Nick Fitzgerald, Nick Fitzgerald, I'm sorry, Nick Weatherspoon was going to return to the program. He kept not returning all the way through the end of the season, going back to that Saturday night in Arkansas where they announced an hour before tip-off he was indefinitely suspended. Do you have an educated guess or even an educated gut feeling as to whether or not he ever suits up for Mississippi State in basketball again? I think if they wanted him out, he'd already be out. He would have either been dismissed from the university or at the very least dismissed from the team. Uh, But they allowed him to practice all the way through. I keep going back to the selection show special that Mississippi State had had the reporters and all the families in there for. And there was a big table full of gear. And there was a box marked NW for Nick Weatherspoon. Why would he have gear? Why would they give him new stuff if he wasn't, you know, maybe possibly going to play? So I think he was on the team, but it's not like he made the trip either, right? He didn't make the trip, no. But at the same time, you know, what would have happened if State advanced and could he have played next week? I don't know. But that said, I think the window is open for him to return. I think it's going to be more his decision than anything else. But where would he go? I mean, he'd have to sit out a year. So I think if he wants to be back, I think there's going to be an opportunity for him to return to Mississippi State next season. Quick response here on the C Spire text line. State looked the most disinterested in that game than they have all year, weren't aggressive, didn't attack the rim like in games prior, almost like they didn't care. Do you agree with that? Well, I mean, that was a problem for State all year. I never There were, there were times where they just didn't play with a lot of energy. But that said, I, I thought they played hard in this game. But they, they, they that stretch where Q and Lamar got in foul trouble, it took a lot out of them. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. On Mondays, we visit with the head baseball coaches in Hattiesburg, Oxford, and Starkville. Scott Barry from Southern Miss joins us when we come back in the Renaissance Bank studio. Now we get into the fun stuff on this Monday afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Scott Barry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss, and I feel like we need that uh, that DJ Khaled song, the, the All I Do Is Win. Coach kind of going back for a couple of weeks now. That, that, that's what you're doing is just winning and winning and winning. Got a, a, a tight one in the midweek against ULM and then a really nice sweep this weekend of Old Dominion. Congratulations. Well, thank you, Richard. Yeah, we've played uh, pretty good, you know, consistent baseball. It's allowed us uh, to win some games now. So, uh, you know, hopefully we'll continue to do that as we enter a new week uh, with, uh, you know, some new challenges ahead of us. But we, we have been playing much better here of late. You're really, really good about shooting straight with me and not giving me any coach speak. So I, so I got to have that now. Was okay. there a point when you weren't playing well where you worried a little bit of, are we going to find it? Or did you believe all along that this team is talented enough, they're going to find it? I just hope it doesn't take too long. 
Yeah, I think that. You know, we knew that we we had some uh, talent and certainly had the potential to be a good baseball team. I think there were some things early on, looking back, that brought about some inconsistencies with us. Uh, you know, I felt like that we've we've pitched pretty well all year, and uh, but defensively. You know, we didn't help ourselves, uh, particularly when we weren't out, out hitting our mistakes offensively. We just did not get it going like I felt like that we were going to, to need uh, or, or need to, to to be really good. But, you know, looking back, uh, the arms that we faced in those first 10, 12 games were really good arms. And, uh, you know, I, did, it, did it suck a little confidence out of us? Maybe so. You know, another factor I think that probably played into it that uh, is helping us now is we're getting consistent, nice weather. You know, the last two and a half mm-hmm. weeks, we haven't had any rain. And, you know, for the first however many games every weekend, it was rain and, you know, it affects practice. And I'm not, I, and by no means is this an excuse at all. It is not. I don't fall into that. Uh, into that category at all. I know that it probably played into us being able to get the consistent reps that we needed to on our field and with games. And so now we're starting to get everything. You know, the weather's starting to get a little more consistent. Uh, you know, did those arms prepare us for the arms that we're facing now? Yes, I think they did. You know, you look at Old Dominion and we scored 34 runs there in the three games against them, and that was a staff. Uh, that that was coming in with a uh, sub three ERA opponent's batting average two twelve. You know, I was going, holy cow! <laughs> Here we go. Hmm. You know, yeah. we're right back to you know what we've seen so many times, and you know we seem to handle it pretty good, though, Richard. I was really proud of our guys, and we we really played all phases of the game well. We pitched well. Started with Walker Powell on Friday with a three hit complete game shutout, ninety seven pitches. You know, kind of did what Nick Sandlin gave for us last year, and what I what I mean that is is that he allowed our bullpen to be completely fresh for for Saturday and Sundays, and that's what Sandlin did last year. So not only did he make an impact on Friday, but he also had an impact on what we were able to do on Saturday and Sunday as well. And also struck out six without walking a batter. And you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but a couple of weeks ago, weren't we talking about? Walker Powell not being 100% from a health standpoint, but maybe now he's back to that spot where he feels exactly like he's supposed to? You know, he came off, he had that really good performance against uh, when he hooked up against uh, Smalls from um, from uh, State on that State, Friday. Right. And uh, pitched really well. You know, the difference between those two, Smalls missed the bats, Walker hit the bats. But, but the ball found the glove for us. And, you know, he pitched the contact. But then comes back, uh, you know, that, that on Monday and doesn't feel good in his arm. So, you know, yeah, you're exactly right. So he's back and, and feeling really well. Uh, so we're, we're rolling, rolling right along. He used a bunch of guys out of the bullpen yesterday and yet got a shutout. So, so Gabe Shepard walks some guys early and you're not able to stick with him, and then Sean Tweedy gives you enough to get the win, but you, you really kind of continued to go to the bullpen throughout the course of the game. Is that a result of being able and confident in doing that, a result of what you were talking about a second ago with, with Walker Powell taking you deep in game one? Yes, and you know, we were without Stevie Powers this weekend. He wasn't okay. on the roster. Uh, little shoulder setback, so 
uh, didn't want to push him at all. Uh, and that resulted from the week before at Louisiana Tech in the fifth inning. Uh, you know, and he was going pretty good through four and goes out in the fifth and gets an out and then throws six straight balls and just really wasn't feeling very, very good. So we pulled him out. So we ended up resting him this whole week. So we knew we were going to have to piece it together bullpen-wise. You know, uh, we went with Mason Strickland, a senior, on Saturday, and we were hoping to get three, three, maybe four out of him. And I think we got three and a third, uh, knowing that we could piece it together there. Luckily, like, like we alluded to earlier, Powell gave us nine complete. So we didn't have to use anybody but him on Friday. So that really strengthened us for Saturday and Sunday. And then Sunday start was Gabe Shepard, a true freshman that actually started, uh, went two innings against Monroe on Tuesday. Uh, he's going to be a really good pitcher for us, but he's a kid that's coming off Tommy John. We wanted to try to maybe get him two, two innings on Sunday. Felt like it's better for him to start because he can get warmed up. He has a routine. He's not rushed if he's coming in in middle relief or in the middle of the game. So try to start him to get two, uh, but we, I think only got one and two thirds out of him. And, uh, like you said, yeah, he, he walked three and struck out three, but, uh, you know, only I think uh, he only had one ball that was uh, that was put in play, and it and it wasn't in play. It, it was actually a foul ball that was caught in foul territory. So we pieced it together yesterday. But I think everything was backed up by uh, really good offensive uh, production out of our guys and some efficient work out of the bullpen, and and really played solid defense. Seven in a row. Scott Berry visiting with us, head baseball coach at uh, at Southern Miss, and his team is uh, is playing some good ball right now. They have won seven in a row. Uh, I, I mean, I know a win streak matters because you need as many wins as you can possibly get, but does a streak necessarily matter, or is it more about playing well and trying to continue to play well? And if you do that, then usually the wins take care of themselves? Yeah, you know, I try not to get caught up, Richard, in, in streaks or polls or any RPIs. I don't look at all that because, you know, it's not in my control. What is in my control and our team's control is the game that we're fixing to play. And we have to commit and concentrate and focus on that game uh, no matter what has happened before, good or bad, or what's in front of us. You know, the, we have to be mature enough to commit to that, and, and that's what we really try to sell to them here is, you know, uh, that, that sweep this weekend, that's great, and it's over. But, you know, the best thing that can happen to us now is that we go to New Orleans tomorrow night, we beat Nickel State, and, uh, and that's what we have to really, really concentrate on and commit to. Scott? Great stuff. I, I know uh, it makes you feel a little bit better when you feel like your guys are playing well uh, when you, you step out on the uh, field. Appreciate your time this afternoon, and uh, always enjoy our chats on these Mondays. I do too, Richard. Thank you. That is Scott Barry, head back. Mississippi. Did you get that memo? Yes, sir. Is it earlier than that? Hey, Dad. Yeah. 
like a lotter at 92? No, 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 like lotter, like 91, 92, something like that. Google says 1992. You want to guess how old I was in 1992? Negative numbers, right? It depends on the month. (laughs) Born in 1992. Is that one of those deals, though, where the song, like, debuted in 1992 but didn't become popular until a couple of years later? Seems like that's how it normally works. Well, it might have gotten popular when, when the lead singer passed away. Let's see here. For Blind Melon? Yeah. I don't remember that. You don't remember that guy dying? No, I don't. Oh, he died early in the process of, of them becoming a big band. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Sorry, I mean, when I was 12, I mean, I, I vividly remember the song from my, like, early teens, but I don't, I wasn't, like, following, I didn't watch MTV all day, every day. All right. It looks like it, it, it came out and was popular pretty much right away. Yeah, were you were you a big MTV guy? You know, in Vicksburg like, we didn't have MTV. Didn't have it. I didn't have it. Like, like it I wasn't started. available on the cable system, or just you Correct. didn't have it at your house. No, it was not available through our cable provider. Was that like a moral thing, or yes. just yes? Really? Yeah. Like when MTV first came out, we had it. We had we had MTV. I think up until I was like in sixth or seventh grade. And then, which would have been what, nineteen ninety three? When what sixth grade? Come on, <laughs> like like nineteen eighty nine, nineteen eighty eight, some of that. Well, okay, that's right. Because I, I, I was in second grade slash third grade in eighty eight. So okay, all right, yeah. I, so MTV was on the Vicksburg cable system initially. But there was a moral opposition to it, and it was removed? Like, not that even available. A very politically correct way of putting it. How about that? Can yeah. you imagine that today? It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Can you imagine yeah, so, MTV uh, showing music videos today? <laughs> also, a, uh, also a little bit of an odd uh, uh, concept. Did you know that uh, two of the guys in Blind Melon were from Mississippi, both from West Point? Yeah. Roger Stevens and Brad Smith, the guitarist and the bassist, respectively, both from West Point, Mississippi. Also, did not know that. Good to know. You didn't. There know you that? go, John. Thanks, John. No, I mean, I've told you, I'm a music guy in that I like lots and lots and lots and lots of music, but I can't tell you history of bands. A lot of times, I'll hear a song that I know or kind of know, and I can't tell you who sings it. So, so that's a shortfall for me. Got to get Shazam. I mean, maybe I yeah. should get Shazam, but I don't really care a lot of the time who sings it. It's like they're gonna play it on the radio, or I'll just if I find it and like it, I'll put it on my phone and not worry about it again. Um, anyway, didn't mean to talk this much about Blind Melon. Really intended to talk about Mississippi State women's basketball last night. Was it full on cruise control? Did they play well in the game last night? Did they play well at times, and we've talked about the fact that Tierra McCowan played out of her mind. What about beyond that? Uh, I thought the intensity was very good defensively. Uh, they forced a. I, I don't have it in front of me. I think it was like eighteen turnovers, um, and that was twenty three. Had eight in the first quarter. So defensive yeah. intensity was very good. Andrea Howard played very well. She had a double-double as well. I think she had 21 and 14. Uh, Jordan Danbury with 18 points. Jazz Holmes was her normal self. 
Um, you know, they didn't get much out of the bench, but I, I think that was by design. I think that, you know, Schaefer knew that, hey, we're going to win this game and have a week off and let's just let's just get let's keep it amongst the starters for the most part. They didn't shoot the three ball very well. But beyond that, yeah, I thought it was up and down the roster, a, a very complete effort. Yeah, so five players that pay, played 34 minutes or more in the uh, the win last night against Clemson. Um, so you look ahead to Arizona State. I mean, listen, this is fair or unfair because of what Mississippi State basketball has done the last two seasons and because of the roster makeup. The expectation from everybody is that they're getting to the Final Four. So you get to the Final Four, and and kind of all bets are off. Maybe you get to the championship game. Maybe you win the championship game. Maybe you lose in the Final Four. This year it feels a little bit different, though, in that lost to in the regular season this year. i got to be honest with you, Richard. You cut out for a minute, and I hear country yeah. music in the background. Well, well, the country music is my doing. Oh. <laughs> did I really cut out for a second? Yeah, y- yes, yeah you like did. you cut out for a second. And so I have, so what did you ask? Get back to it. We don't have time for it now. <laughs> we got winners and losers coming up. We'll come back and circle back to the point I was trying to make before I was so rudely interrupted by a phone line that flaked out. More coming up with you at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi, Monday afternoon, brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs, well, do yourself a favor. Give the folks in Mississippi Land Bank a call. They are great people to deal with. So that's a really good starting point. You're not dealing with a bunch of people that you just as soon not talk to anyway. Uh, good people, they've got good products, competitive products within the marketplace, and experience. My goodness do they have experience. Like a century's worth of experience financing land. So if you've got any type of land financing needs and you're in North Mississippi, give them a call. You can find a phone number, you can find a branch location on the website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. I'm excited today about winners and losers, so let's not tarry. Let's get to it. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. All right, I'm going to blow past my boring winners and losers. And then we're going to turn this into kind of a roundtable thing. A winner, Mississippi State baseball keeps rolling. A winner, Southern Miss baseball undefeated in Conference USA play. We've talked about those. A loser, Ole Miss loses two and three on the road against Missouri. Okay, those are out of the way. And let me get to the fun ones. Here's a winner, Greg Byrne. I think he's a really good athletics director. I think the evidence is there of that. But this quote from him, I love. I mean, you want to talk about an AD telling you how it's going to be. And it's not the first time that we've heard this type of thing from Greg Byrne. Here's a a quote that he gave to reporters today talking about the open basketball position, head coaching position at Alabama. The next time I talk publicly after today will be to announce the new coach. 
if anything gets out that somebody is a leading candidate or according to sources they've interviewed or they're going to interview, I kind of assume that person doesn't want the job. Asked about whether or not he planned to hire a search firm, he said, quote, you're looking at the search firm, close quote. I like that a lot from an AD. Yeah, he, he, he's garnered that reputation, right, for moving around in in the shadows and quietly. and you, You'll know when he knows. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, number two. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who's made something of his life? About 11 months ago, this guy was on a golf course in Oxford, Mississippi, playing in the minor leagues. And not only was he on a golf course in Oxford, Mississippi, playing in the minor leagues, he was playing in a pro-am with Brian Scott Rippey and Chase Parham and yours truly. Sung J.M. went on to earn his tour card a year ago. The South Korean has played in 18 events this year. He's made 12 cuts. He's got three top five finishes, and he has won $1,666,414. That's coming a long way from having to walk around in a pro-am in Oxford, Mississippi with Rippy and Cross. Sung J.M. is a winner. Still waiting on my 8% commission for teaching him how to chip. Yeah, keep waiting on that. It's coming. Give me a winner, Rippy. Auburn. Back in the Sweet 16 for the first time in, I forgot the number a long time, but that Two- performance was something. Against Kansas, yeah, Holy I mean, cow. ran them out of the gym, and they looked like they looked angry doing it. I don't know what about it was, but the first like six minutes of that game, like one team had an entire different energy level than the other. They were on a different stratosphere, and it's going to be a fantastic Sweet Sixteen. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't count them out. What they're one of, I think they're still the only team left that has not lost in March. It's a good point. It's a very good point. Auburn off and rolling. Hey, Dad, give me a winner. This pains me. Duke. Okay. I don't know how they won that game yesterday. Uh, I was in the media room, and there was a collective gasp when that last Central Florida shot rimmed out. But they found a way, as they always do, and they are still the favorite to win this national championship. Well, but they don't always do, do they? I mean, isn't that convenient to say that? Because they had a, a, a shot very similar to the one that UCF missed a year ago that they missed against Kansas. I will not have you interfere with my narrative, please. <laughs> Take your facts elsewhere, sir. Borky, give me a winner. Uh, well, it's two CBS executives and the NCAA because every one, two, and three seed made the Sweet 16, and that means ratings, they already are up. That means they're going to be really, really up, and that means they get to make a lot more money. The tournament is better when the ones and twos and threes play as long as possible. I don't feel that way about the NFL or in college football. I don't care if Michigan's good, for example, but in the NCAA tournament, leave the upsets for the opening weekend. Give me the Blue Bloods now. I want to see Duke win. I want to see North Carolina win, and every one, two, and three making it is good for the tournament, in my opinion and good for the TV networks and the money people. C Spire text line, got a winner right here. It says, winner SEC basketball. Four SEC teams in the Sweet 16. 
Uh, last year, the uh, the league got eight teams in, which was a record, but then went only eight and eight in NCAA tournament play. This year, four teams in the Sweet 16, only the third time in conference history that that has happened. All right, I'm, go- I'm going to attempt to personify a concept for a loser. If you find yourself as a point of emphasis, then you're a loser. What are you talking about, Richard? Okay. So every year, going into the college basketball season, we have the quote-unquote points of emphasis. A couple of years ago, it was the arm bar. This year, the biggest point of emphasis has been the hook and hold. How many times this year have we sat and watched officials go to the monitor only to spend two and a half minutes examining whether or not a play was a hook and hold? They were trying to get it out of the game to protect players because it's a dangerous play. And so if you find yourself as a point of emphasis, know this. You only matter until you don't matter anymore. You don't matter in a Sweet 16 game. You don't matter when a Blue Blood has a chance to win or lose in a Sweet 16 game. Now... I'm perfectly okay with the fact that they let the guys play at the end of Duke and UCF. But spare me the whole point of emphasis thing. Hey, Dad, give me a loser. Dean Blevins. I don't know if you know who that is, but he is a uh, TV media guy in Oklahoma who made the comment about somebody had a, a uh, an article about LSU persevering through tragedy, and he went on a, a Twitter rant a mini twenty Twitter rant about what tragedy? Tragedy is kids getting murdered or having cancer. <laughs> oh, he was unaware, and he was Ooh. that LSU had lost the player Wade Sims uh, earlier in the season, and then he he issued an apology, but didn't delete the tweet. It's still there. Mm. So, not not a good look. Borky, give me a loser. Uh, coaches in Twitter. Uh, this is unbelievable. A uh, uh, Brent Key, an assistant at Georgia Tech. Uh, if you didn't see the news over the weekend, Georgia Tech uh, lost a defensive tackle, uh, died over the weekend. And Georgia Tech assistant coach Brent Key tweeted this, Georgia Tech has always and, can, and will continue to attract great men. Today we lost a great man and gained another great man. Even in dark days, the future is bright. Oh, Yikes. Yeah. Maybe don't try to leverage one of your players' deaths into a recruiting win next yeah, time. Yeah, not a, not a good play. Rippy, give me a loser. That's a general good rule of thumb. Uh, so I don't mean to be repetitive, but UCF, that sucked. I have no idea how that didn't go in, this putback. I mean, talk about like like everything in the final 90 seconds of a game that had to go wrong for them to lose that game did. Like, every single thing. Start, just, starting with trying to throw the alley-oop in transition as opposed to run some more time off the clock. Yes, and then the... I mean, they went to the line thinking Zion's going to make it, they're going to go to overtime, have a chance to win the game or go to overtime at worst, then they're trailing without touching the ball. But that was a really fun game. Aubrey Dawkins can play. They were a really good team the last three weeks of the year. I mean, you were talking about, like, second to last week of February, they didn't know if they were getting in. They couldn't beat anyone good in the yeah. American Conference and put it together, but that that's rough. My, my final two losers, a pair of Michaels. First one is Michael Avenetti. This guy. 
draws this tweet from Dan Wetzel. My entire career has been building to the point that I got to cover the story of an attorney for a porn star getting indicted for extorting Nike over alleged payments via an AAU coach to high school basketball players. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. That's Michael number one that's a loser. Michael number two that's a loser? Our very own Michael Borky. Have you seen his bracket in the Sports Talk Mississippi bracket (laughs) challenge? Got a bunch of teams still alive. I'm not dead yet. There is no mathematical way for you to get even to like the, the 50 percentile between here and there. We'll take a look at where the brackets stand in a little bit. Coming up next, Farm Bureau phone line, Chris Lamonis, head baseball coach at Mississippi State. Back with you Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, Michael Borky in the studio. Glad to have you along. And right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, glad to have Chris Lamonis, the skipper of the Bulldogs, who are off to an outstanding start this season, ranked second in the country, now in the top 20 in RPI and playing really, really good baseball. Coach, appreciate a few minutes of your time this afternoon um, where is your team right now? But beyond the fact that they're really good and playing at a really high level, you know, in in this league, you're just waking up and getting ready for the next day. You know, you, you don't you don't get to think about the weekend too much um, because you have another great opponent coming up each week. And um, I think they like where they're at. We didn't pitch to our potential this week. Just overall as a week, probably the first time all year we got hit up a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how we bounce back as a staff. But I think as a team, uh, they just collectively, man, they play really tough and they play together, and uh, they've had a lot of success. Kind of an interesting weekend when you look at it. You know, fall behind, and then Auburn has to hang on for dear life in game one. Uh, Another incredible performance from JT again, and the bats come to life on Saturday. And then I guess I'm really curious in, in, in your career as a, as a player, as an assistant coach, as a head coach, how many games have you been in like yesterday? I think there's only one other I can even think of. And we had fallen. We gave up a 10 spot in the first when I was at the Citadel and came back and won, believe it or not. So um, that game right there tonight, uh, yesterday, I'm sorry, it was, uh, it was pretty amazing because you're playing a, just a really good opponent. The park's playing a little lively, so the balls are jumping, and uh, it just came down to compete and compete, and I was glad we had the last at bats. I just kept thinking all day it's going to come down to the end of the game, uh, whoever gets the hit, and and, uh, Cole Borden did a great job for us at the end of the game. I'm curious. You mentioned the park playing a little lively, and I know you haven't coached here prior to, but there was always a feeling with the old stadium that especially early in the year, that it was almost like you were hitting in a graveyard. Uh, John Cohen's talked to us about that in the past. Is there a different feel, maybe because of the the lofts beyond the left field wall, because of the construction of the stadium with the way that it's built, that the ball's flying better this year than maybe it has in years gone by? You know, um, I don't have a great, like you said, I I wasn't here, so I don't get it. We talked about it a lot in the fall. Um, you know, talking, Butch Thompson had coached here for a long time, and right. he was saying it on Sunday, just, man, the ball's carrying a lot more than it used to. And um, I would probably listen to him, you know, just, just his observations and, and what he had seen over the year. And I do think John had mentioned it, and they actually had done a win study. I just wanted to make it make sure it played fair, you know, and I think that's what it does now. 
Um, some days if the wind's blowing out a little bit, then it's a little more offensive. But we've had some really uh, pitching days, too, where the wind blows in a little bit like normal parts. But if you hit a ball right, I think it'll carry for you. And I think that's – we're not sure if it's the condos in left field that kind of – is making it a little more or just the backstop behind us. But I do think there's a combination that's making it more offensive. Hey, Coach, it's Brian Haydad. Uh, Rowdy Jordan, I've asked you about him a couple of times, and you kept talk, telling me that even when he was struggling, he had such a positive mental attitude and it was doing all the right things. And then this weekend he broke out in a big way. What was different for him at the plate this weekend? You know, I think he got a couple hits at Sanford on Wednesday night. And you're able to relax a little bit. You're able to um, just enjoy playing the game instead of being sucked into that slump mentality. And uh, as each hit, as he got going, you started to see his natural swing coming out. And we all know, I mean, Coach Dotro had told me all year, I'm telling you he's one of our best hitters. And um, after this weekend, I agree, he really had a big coming out party this weekend. I think he did it last year at Auburn, too. Like that was, he was hitting like 182 going into Auburn last year. And uh, he got it going after the Auburn series and took off. I'm hoping that happens again, um, being a kid that's from Auburn. So, uh, but it was pretty neat to see. Um, we had goosebumps. I mean, they're 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 cheering his name after that bases loaded double, and um, it's just like an atmosphere like I've never really been in. And uh, to see that for him, because I know how much of a struggle it's been these first couple weeks of the season, um, to, to have a day like that was awesome. Coach, we got a, a question on our ceasefire text line, uh, wondering your thoughts on Luke Alexander and kind of how he's transitioned into this role as a senior assistant, helping guys out, motivi- motivating players to to play hard, and still trying to kind of be a part of the team. He's awesome. I mean, I, I've only known Luke for a small amount of time, but I'm glad he's a part of our staff. Uh, he comes, he's there every day like a coach. He's really got. Um, and he's got a coach's mind. I mean, he just you, you sit and you talk to him and you, and you watch him, and um, it's been great to have him a part, and I think it's been good for him to be a part because, uh, you know, after the ending last year, just being able to be back around the game I think has been huge. But we, we, he's, a, he's an asset to our program, even if it's not in between the lines. Nearly or, or maybe just more than 32,000 fans in total for the three games this weekend. I, I, I know you were part of building the success at Louisville, and kind of seeing the crowds grow there. Indiana, a place that in, in Big Ten country has really good baseball fans and, and a good atmosphere. But my guess is that, that this weekend was different for you. If so, how was it different? You know, um, it was – I mean, we played at Texas in that regional final last year. It was bigger than that. I mean, it just felt like I mean, it was just an awesome environment. And everybody told me our crowds are kind of everybody tailgating and hanging out. And I'm going to tell you what, on Sunday, there was no hanging out. They were hanging over the rails. I mean, they were into every pitch. Um, it's not only just having a lot of fans there. We, our fans were so into the game. And um, it, it's been a, you know, over the weekend, it was really neat to see. Because we've had some really good crowds during the year, but nothing with the intensity that we had this weekend. And, and it makes a huge difference for, for us and our players. I, we were talking afterwards, and, you know, we talked about how hard the kids played and how engaged they played. How can you not when you have a crowd there like that? And our, our fans didn't fall behind when we were down a six or seven, and, our, and it keeps your players going. And then when you get a big hit like Rowdy's or something like that, boy, it's tough to pitch if you're the other team or make plays or get hits uh, when you have a fan base behind you like that. Chris Lamonis on your radio. He's on the Farm Bureau phone line at Sports Talk Mississippi. Mississippi State coming off a weekend where they win two of three from Auburn. 
you know, Chris, it's interesting. When, when guys get head coaching opportunities, I guess there are a couple of reasons that it happens. One, somebody does a great job and gets another job and they move on, or you're inheriting a mess and, and it's kind of a rebuild. Obviously, the situation was unique that you inherited. Not not many guys get... Hello? Hello? Coach, Coach, he was uh trying to get ask you about, you know... Uh, Coming into the situation and, and coming in right. to a you know a program coming off of a college World Series appearance, and, and what I would say is, you, you've taken that program and you've over delivered on expectations thus far. Just for you, do you feel that? Do you feel like this team is better than even you thought it was going to be at this point in the season? Well, you know there were some question marks. You know, um, you know my Indiana job was very similar. Tracy Smith got a job at Arizona State. They had just gotten back from Omaha the year prior and uh, won the league with a national seed the year before. So, you know, um, I, I kind of had that same situation. I've always said I'd rather take over a program where they've had some success. Um, but in this situation, they had had great success at the end. And it was kind of a Jekyll and Hyde. You know, there was I didn't know if we were a team that hit 240 or we were a team that hit 320 over the end of the year. Yeah. You know, and so – and I, I think some of the big areas where, like, Scott Foxhall's made a huge difference is – you know, we've we've gotten a lot of mileage out of our bullpen, some guys who had never pitched. You know, and I think that those are some areas probably where we've get, gone better. I just I give so much credit to last year's staff, and I know Coach Gotro was on that staff and Gary Henderson and them, but um, of keeping that group together and let and getting them out of that funk they were in, and then what they did at the end obviously was huge. But um, it developed such a grit and toughness in our kids, and that's the biggest piece that we've been able to take from the last staff of. You know, because when you play and you just have to play every day, kids can take a day off or whatever. And, and this group of kids, man, they come and they play with energy and effort every single day, and, and that's their strength. I mean, they they just they get after it. So I think we're you know we are very fortunate, but I do think we've played very well to this point, and um, looking forward to shoot this weekend. Hey, Chris, have you had any of your colleagues ask you uh, how to navigate this whole trying to get a head coaching job? I mean, you, you mentioned back-to-back teams you inherit that uh, are coming off trips to Omaha. What, what's the secret there? Yeah, I, I don't know. I was you know, I was in the right place in the right time, I guess, you know, of having good teams and, and, and connections of, of different places. And I just think, uh, you know, Louisville and Indiana were so close together. And that was, uh, you know, we were two hours apart and played each other all the time. So I think that – and. and you know, we're one of the better programs in the country at that point. And then just coming down here, just having a really good team the last couple of years in Indiana, puts you in that spot uh, to get this job. 32,000 in Starkville this past weekend. LSU coming to town this week for a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. My guess is it's going to be another electric weekend at the ballpark. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. That's Chris Lamonis. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Getting two of the three head coaches on the Farm Bureau phone line this afternoon. A chat with Scott Perry in the 3 o'clock hour. Just finished up a good conversation with Chris Lamonis here in the 4 o'clock hour. Mike Bianco will join us about an hour from now. We'll talk a little bit about Ole Miss's weekend. Went on the road to Missouri and lost two out of three. So let's talk a little bit about the weekend on the diamond for Ole Miss and Rippy, kind of what you see, Borky, what you see. On, on Friday night, they lose 2-1. to one. Uh, Will Etheridge pitches 
a good game, but Ole Miss dealt with uh, a left-hander on the mound for Missouri who was just a little bit better. Jacob Cantleberry went six and a third, struck out eight and gave up only six hits, only allowed one run. Will Etheridge goes five and two-thirds, gives up eight hits, two runs, only one of them earned. So there was an error that was was costly in that game as Ole Miss committed a couple of errors. Let's start there with with the defense for Ole Miss. This is a team that's got a, a bunch of veteran guys, but they've made some pretty costly errors that have ultimately cost them games this season. Yeah, they have at times, and it's it, it seems like it's come at times that it's compounded when their pitchers have either struggled or pitched in a tight spot. I mean, it seems like three or four times Zach Phillips this year has fallen victim to that, and then, you know, he's his demise has come shortly afterwards. So definitely not not ideal. Um, offensively, it, it's easy to get. Um, Persuaded is not the right word, but to kind of get your focus off a little bit when you see a 25-run performance. But you got to remember it comes against Arkansas Pine Bluff, and no disrespect intended, but they're terrible. Then you come back and you score one run and a loss. You score three runs and a win, a shutout win, and then only able to put, what, four or five runs on the board in the, the series finale yesterday. What do you see when you look at this offense? A team that struggles against left-handed pitching, and Thomas Dillard has been scuffling a little bit, and not to like for him to shoulder the entire weight of the offensive production dropping, but that's that's largely kind of what it's been is those two factors. Dillard a little bit better yesterday, two for four, drove in a couple of runs, hit his ninth home run of the season, and uh, maybe gets it going a little bit. But if you look at that, outside of that, you had Thomas Dillard go two for three, those are the only two guys with multiple hits in the lineup for uh, for Ole Miss yesterday. Eight runs, uh, or excuse me, five runs on uh, on just eight hits. And then the question comes about the pitching. Uh, Will Etheridge was good. Doug Nikhazy was great in the game two start. And then yesterday, Gunnar Hoagland starts, but can't get out of the third inning. Now it's a little deceiving. You had some weather issues, a couple of different weather delays in the game, um, and ultimately. I guess what I should say is ultimately, though, Ole Miss doesn't get a deep start out of one of its starters again this weekend. Yeah, it looks like they found something in in shoring up Saturday with Doug Nikhazy. He, like you said, he was really good. But then, you know, once that happens, a week after Gunnar Hoagland looks like he's kind of coming, rounding into form, he struggles. So it's just kind of feels like this team is patching one hole only to have another one open back up. Ultimately, Connor Green takes the loss yesterday. Ole Miss goes to the bullpen. Coming out of a, uh, a lightning delay or a weather delay, Zach Phillips uh, making his first career relief appearance pitches no percentage of an inning. He gives up three hits and a couple of runs, uh, has to come out of the ball game. Ole Miss then goes to Max Chofey, and they finished it off with uh, with Houston Roth. Um, is there anything to take away from the fact that Roth goes uh, two innings scoreless and only gives up a hit and strikes out three? Yeah, he's been good in his last couple of outings after struggling I think he's probably getting a little bit healthier with the shoulder and if it's not like they're probably going to go back to Hoagland for at least another start out of the rotation I would imagine I mean that would that would make sense certainly given some of the signs he's shown but if he were to struggle Roth gives him some flexibility there whether it's him going in back into the rotation or sliding out or maybe someone else sliding in there and him giving them flexibility in the bullpen on the spectrum of teams in the SEC. 
I think we'd all agree that you know there, there's no easy weekend in the league. Ole Miss gets two of three from Alabama. Alabama got one from Arkansas this past weekend. You go on the road and lose two of three against Missouri. So with, with that said, that okay, there are no easy weekends, those are two teams that look a little bit different than most of the rest of the league. Because coming up, you've got number 10 Arkansas, and then what was number 5 Florida. I haven't seen where they slid in the rankings. I haven't got pull it up right here. The D1 rankings have Florida. Uh, they're still in the top 25. Ole Miss also still in the top 25. Let's see, Florida is now at 23. So you got Florida at 23 and Ole Miss at 24. But that's still a really talented Florida team. And you know you got LSU left. You know you got Mississippi State left. Those are later in the year. You got Auburn left on the schedule. You got Texas A&M, who's playing good baseball, still on the schedule. Uh, Tennessee is a team that really pitches it well, still on the schedule. There are really no easy weekends remaining outside maybe the Kentucky weekend, at least on paper. Yeah, and I mean they. As you said, I mean, they have a tough trip next week to Arkansas. Then Florida, they catch a little bit of break with Kentucky, but then it's off to the races to finish the season with Auburn, A&M, LSU, State, and Tennessee to finish. So, you know, this these couple weeks were an opportunity to kind of build up some, some breathing room, and they didn't exactly do that sitting at 3-3. Three and three. Not anywhere close to the halfway point in league play. Only two weekends in. So, so eight league series remaining. And you talk about pressing a panic button. Certainly doesn't seem like it's time to do just that. But what is the level of concern when when you look at kind of where this team is sitting at three and three in league play and knowing what lies ahead? Well, I mean, I think there's obviously real concern because this team has real issues that have you know there's a sample size enough sample size now to know that they're they're real formidable issues, but they have the talent in most of those areas to figure it out. And I mean, what the 2016 team started. Two and six, I believe, at one point in league play before finishing off what seventeen and thirteen, maybe eighteen and twelve in hosting. Um, so was that a team that you felt like had similar a similar makeup? Not necessarily, but that team didn't have. I think you would say top to bottom near as much talent as this team. So still time, but you know the schedule doesn't help them out very much the rest of the way. But as you said, most. I mean, you're not going to catch many easy weekends in the SEC, as is, if any at all. Borky, I feel like we kind of talked about this going into the year, there not being any off weekends. And every weekend you look at the schedule, you go, oh, that's an interesting matchup. Oh, wow, that's a good matchup. Good grief. Got to watch that one as well. Do you feel like the SEC 1 through 14 is the best it's been maybe ever? Oh, that's a good question. Um, That's a really good question. I would say so, right? I mean, because even... Even your teams that have struggled historically, Alabama has gotten better, right? They're still not going to be formidable. They're not going to compete in the West. But when you're talking about your bottom feeders in recent history, you're looking at Alabama and, and Auburn for a time really struggled, and you don't get those kind of breaks anymore. Tennessee's much improved. South Carolina and Kentucky are the only two teams that you can point to and say that they are either not improving or, or getting worse, right? It's just two out of the 14 teams that where you can point to and say – they have either regressed or been stagnant. Everybody else is either improving or has maintained the level that they have for a long time. Probably is the best the league's ever been. You know, the other piece of this when you're you're looking at it from an Ole Miss perspective is the West is, at least to this point, a lot better than the East. 
you've only got two teams in the East with winning records, Georgia and Vanderbilt, and Ole Miss does not catch either of those teams out of the East. They've got the series with Tennessee. They just finished the series with Missouri. They don't play South Carolina. they got Florida and Kentucky, in addition to the, the other six teams in the, uh, in the West. So does that, does that mean anything? Well, they, you certainly thought they caught a break by dodging Vanderbilt. And then now with the way Florida's looked, it's looked even more favorable in terms of an East draw, but still got to win the games. You do. You absolutely do. We'll get into some of this with Mike Bianco coming up in the uh, 5 o'clock hour. Glad to have you along at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. The C Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Text comes in, says this is year three of Bianco's top-rated recruiting class, question mark. Um you know, you, you you said exactly what you were asking there, uh, and you know you you would hope that with guys with that much experience, they're able to kind of pull it together along the way. Bear, you ask a question. What's up with Greer Holston? Velocity way down, among a couple other things, not at a point to where he can help the team in a game. I mean, the fact that he hasn't pitched in a game this year is is should tell you a lot. I guess I'll put it that way. Richard and Wiggins says, "Give us a trivia question." Hmm. I have to think on that a little bit, uh, Richard. See if I can uh, come back to you as well. This number from the 601, or this text from the 601, look at the 2018 Mississippi State squad for an answer on whether it's time to push, punch the panic button over Ole Miss baseball. That's fair. They, you, you heard Chris Lavonis say again uh, a little while ago, he said, I didn't know if I was inheriting a team that hit 240 or the team that hit 320 at the end of the year. It's a reasonable comparison. More coming up with you, Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you Monday afternoon. Glad to have you along for the ride. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad has slipped out for the day. We'll all be back with you tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock at Midweek Baseball coming your way for the Bulldogs and the Rebels and the Golden Eagles. We'll cover that this week. Also got a pro day in Starkville. Got a pro day in Oxford. So Mississippi State and Ole Miss both having their pro days this week. We'll bring you coverage from that and a whole lot more as the week goes along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land. Mississippi Land Bank, you can find them online at mslandbank.com. It's after 5 o'clock. That means it's time for the college football fix. Is here to help. I had to jump in there. You dropped on me. Again? Again. Yes, sir. Well, Mississippi Land Bank can help you if you've got any land financing needs. You can find their website, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. College football fix coming your way right now. But before we do that, I want to drop a nugget in for you. Uh, Borky, if I said to you, I'm going to sell you something, and you say, okay, I'm happy to buy a piece of what it is that you're selling, and I said it's a very minor transaction, how much money would you think that we're talking about? (laughs) Between you and me, like 20 bucks. Okay, so a minor transaction. It's all about scale, right? Earlier today, 
Uh, by the way, the NFL owners have their annual spring league meetings going on in Phoenix, and the owners are having to vote on a transaction. I think it's probably just like a rubber stamp deal, but Arthur Blank, the owner of the Atlanta Falcons, is selling a 10% share of the team to two current limited partners and one new limited partner. The franchise has a valuation of $3 billion. So it's a $300 million sale. The spokesman said it's a very minor transaction. (laughs) $300 million is a minor transaction. The valuation of the the, uh, Falcons has almost doubled since the opening of the $1.5 billion Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Local NFL revenue for the Falcons up 70%. And you got people paying seat license as high as $45,000, not for a ticket, for the right to buy a ticket. Times are good at the NFL. You know, maybe Arthur Blank just decided he needed some cash. Maybe he wanted to go buy a couple of new vacation homes or 50 new vacation homes. I, I don't know. He also has a soccer team that's actually doing quite well there in Atlanta. Yes, it is doing. I wonder what the valuation for the Atlanta United is. Maybe we can check that uh, coming up as well. All right, just thought that was an interesting nugget to pass along. Here's your college football fix. We'll go to TCU. We'll go to Fort Worth. Gary Patterson hates the transfer waiver rules so much that he wants names of the people who are approving them made public. Last week, you had Lane Kiffin jump into the fray, saying that people were transferring and jumping into the portal because it was sexy. Story at College Football Talk says TCU's Gary Patterson has cannonballed into the pool with some strong comments of his own. Here's what he said. I want the names of all those people at the NCAA that are deciding to do that so everybody knows their names when they ruin the game. I don't care if there's lawyers involved. I don't care if any of that's involved. The bottom line to it is we need to do what's best for the game. Now, he did expound a little bit. Gary Patterson in an interview with the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. After they get away from here, as a general rule, they come back as they mature and understand they figure out what we're trying to do and accomplish. If you can't go through that process with a young man and grow them up just like a parent does, then we're cheating them, to be honest with you. That's my personal opinion about it. Let's stop there for a second. There are a lot of people that are going to poo-poo this quote from uh, from Gary Patterson. Oh, he just cares about him. What about coaches transferring without... Okay, all of those things can be true. And Gary Patterson says this is his opinion. What do you think of his opinion as he says, we need to make public the people at the NCAA who are approving all these transfers, and it's ruining the game? Do you agree with that? Forky? It's hard not to. I mean, I I am all about... Why is it ruining the game? I'm going to sound like a hypocrite here, because I am all about the players getting more for what they do. I don't think they're adequately... the, The scholarship... For a lot of players, not every player, but for a lot of players, is not adequate compensation in relation to the revenue that they generate. Them getting more freedom is okay with me. However, if you allow this open season 
this open transfer market, free agency in a way, it will adversely affect the kids ultimately because they will decide they want out and will have no place to go. and It'll be hard to field rosters. It's just, it's going to cause chaos in college football that we don't need. There are ways that you can give more freedom to the kids without it being open free agency. And so I agree with him there. It, there, are, there are ways to do it that is not just put your name in a portal and go somewhere else. Hey, there's a part of what you said that I agree with and, and part that I don't necessarily agree with. You, you say that ultimately this is a detriment to the, to the kids. To it the can be. Here's what I would say. I agree with that sentiment if you put value in a diploma. If a college education is important, and I don't feel like a college education is important to a lot of the people that are looking at this. They're only looking at it from the standpoint of let them go wherever they want to go, pay them more, give them the ability to make money from their likeness. And on the surface, I don't have an issue with those things. But this conversation is one that has evolved over the years. That There's one thing that I stand by when regard to you talk about pay them more or pay the players or give them more or give them access to more. I still say that you have to start with a baseline value to the scholarship, to the education, that that matters, that, that there is value to what they're getting. And I think a lot of people look at this and don't see value or at least don't care to see value in the education. So to your point, Michael, where you say doing a disservice or can be detrimental, here's where I would agree with that. When you start transferring, it gets harder to get your diploma. Because inevitably, not every credit transfers. One school may have different requirements. The electives that you've taken at one school may not transfer to another school. There may have been a lab that you took here that isn't a lab that's required elsewhere, and so you don't get credit for that lab. And so you're now behind. And when you start transferring, it becomes harder to get that degree. It makes it harder to get that diploma. And if you put value in a college degree, which I think a lot of people do and a lot of people don't, but if you put value in that college degree and it becomes harder for those players to graduate if they're transferring once or twice or sometimes three times. I mean, what, what, what if you have a kid that starts at one school, and, and let's just say the traditional route, in, in the traditional sense, transfers after one year to a junior college so he doesn't have to sit out for a year, and then transfers from a junior college to another school, and then maybe transfers one more time. When we talk about the winding path that players take all the time, so so you've gone from D1 to JUCO to D1 to D1. Not all those credits are going to transfer. They might transfer the first time. They might transfer the second time. But somewhere along the way, you're going to lose some of that. Rippy, am I on to anything here, or are you rolling your eyes at me? No, I agree. I don't get what knowing the names accomplishes, though. His point, well, Gary Patterson believes that this is going to ruin the game, and he wants the names of the people who have chosen to ruin the game out there. I don't Just a little I'm... vindictive, hey, let's put it to them thing. 
Yeah, but the idea allowing free transfer and open transfer is going to ruin a multi-billion dollar industry seems a little silly. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to ruin the game. I think it changes the game, though. And again, you've got the NCAA saying that the um, the transfer working committee is going to go back and reevaluate the transfer policy. Man, on that front, I just say good luck. Just good luck. T.O.B. on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. He says 1,000 yeses, hashtag value in degree. Well, of course There's there the is. value there. It matters. And it certainly matters when you're a college football player. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. It's under the break, and Rippy had some interesting thoughts. Um... I think there's, well, let, let's start here. Okay, we're talking about value just for a moment, uh, for a second. Oh, by the way, Richard and Wiggins earlier on the C Spire text line asked for a trivia question. Richard, I've got one for you. When is the last time the SEC had four teams in the Sweet 16? There is no prize other than the attaboy that you get for getting it right. Last time the SEC had four teams playing in the Sweet 16. So we're talking about value a second ago to go along with, you know, uh, should players be paid more? Should, you know, all, all the things that go along with this. So, so let's be real for a second, okay? Let's, uh, let's give, let's give players an extra $5,000 a year. Is that paying them a little bit more? And let's also give them access to making money off of their likeness. Okay, so we'll go full cost of attendance, the stipend that's in place right now, an additional $5,000 a year, and the ability to make money from their own likeness. What does that add up to? That adds up to the top 5% of players maybe making some decent money in marketing dollars maybe the top 10% that's probably being a little liberal with that as well i most of this i think a lot of people miss the point on this this pay the players idea this this idea that people think that all 85 players on a college football team would and deserve to make a whole bunch of money don't really understand there's only value, I would say, in like 1% of all college athletes. Real marketable value. Yeah. Uh, so those are the people that I want I want them to be taken care of. Like Zion Williamson is the example I use because he's a massive star and he can't capitalize on that. that that's fine. But but here, here's where I was going. I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Borgie. But but here's where I was going with that. What whatever that small percentage of players is that can maximize value of their likeness. If they can go get a deal with Nike or whatever. That's a small percentage. If you get a give a kid an extra $5,000 a year while they're in college, what are they going to do with it? Some may invest it. Some may turn that $5,000 into a nest egg for the rest of their life. I know what I would have done with an extra $5,000 cash when I was in college. I'd have blown the heck out of it. 
Might have used it to help with the car payment. Might have used it to buy gifts for my girlfriend, to go out to eat more, whatever. I would have blown it. That's just me. Now, here's where I'm getting. You raised an interesting point, Rippy, for college athletes that you think would be a value add that's not nearly as sexy as saying, you know what, we're going to give each of these players $5,000 on top of their scholarship, on top of their stipend, on top of cost of attendance. We're going to just give them cash. What do you think would be a better value add? You mean the insurance plan? Yeah. Yeah, some sort of insurance plan that covers their surgeries and medical costs after. I mean, I guess it's kind of football-centric, but I guess you could see the same thing with a kid having a torn-up shoulder in baseball or whatever wear and tear comes from basketball. But that would seem to help out. See, I like that idea. That's a value add that helps you down the road. See, I think a lot of people are going to blow some extra money. And I'm not being judgmental of that. It's just, okay, life can be a little more comfortable while I'm 18, 19, 20, and 21 while I'm in college. Because I'm going to have a little extra walking around money. But, grand scheme of things, Borky, $5,000 when you're 18 years old is not that much. It may, be, it may be a lot of money right then, but it's not a lot of money five years down the line. Absolutely. 18-year-old me, I, I would have thought I was rich if somebody would have given me $5,000. <laughs> and and what would you have to show for that $5,000 today? <laughs> Negative amounts. I, I would have okay. ran up some debt on that five thousand dollars. There's no way it would have lasted. Memories, but should we not provide somebody something that they're due because of how they're going to spend it? Is that our business? How? In a- no, no, no. You're, you're right. You're, you're right. But I, I just like the point that Rippy made of why don't you create something that that matters and is lasting and is really helpful. It's far less sexy to say you're going to have an insurance policy that covers any medical expenses related to the time when you were an athlete that is good for the next decade. Yeah, and that put, really put some time frame on it. You may I mean, have if, to go longer. Well, maybe, but I mean, look, if your knees go bad when you're 60, yeah. And, and you want to claim that's because you played football when you were 22, and a lot of people have a lot, lot of 60-year-olds have knee replacements and that the, never stepped on a football field. And the nobility of that, because that would protect the guys that don't go pro. Because the NFL, Major League Baseball, they have their own situations there, and also they make enough money to where it doesn't matter. That protects your backup offensive lineman for four years that finally gets to start when he's a redshirt senior that has just beaten his body to death just so he could play football and get his degree. It protects those kind of guys. Which makes you know makes you feel good at the end of the day. It's more noble protecting them because they worked hard and they're not marketable and they're not pros, so they don't get that extra stuff. But they do get their bodies protected and cared for for going through all of that while getting their degree. All right, so let's go to the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. I need a little bit more from you, Joseph. Joseph says Sports Talk Mississippi unlistenable. Borky says mind explaining why, and he says Richard's disingenuousness. Okay. If you think I'm being disingenuous, that's fine. Tell me why, though. What What am I saying that's disingenuous? I think disingenuousness is what it was. And then you say that you're trolling. Well, thanks for adding to the conversation, Joseph. I am 100% open to engaging in a dialogue with you on this. 
I'm not trying to be disingenuous either. Well, it is it, to me it's always important to note that the the number of people that because I make this argument a lot. We talk about this a lot. Part of it is is my fault because I do think that there are players that deserve more because Zion Williamson is worth far more than one year of classes. So those kind of guys, I want to get protected because the revenue they generate. This blanket idea that everybody that plays college sports deserves more than their scholarship, that is disingenuous, and that is not understanding really the, the nature of college athletics. Because there are only a handful of players that are actually valuable. Only a handful of players that are that are actual brands that are actually marketable. Otherwise, you're just a jersey. Because people are going to go to Oxford and Starkville to watch a football game every single year, no matter what name is on the back of the jersey. Yeah. Um, 601, doesn't matter how student-athletes choose to spend the money if they're paid. I agree with that. I, 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 please don't misunderstand. I agree with that statement. They can spend the money. If you decide to give them money, you can go spend it however you want to. But what about a well-intentioned adult making a decision that is a better long-term decision? Just just something to think about. Hey, the answer to the trivia question that uh, has absolutely no prize. Last time the SEC had four teams in the NCAA tournament. I'm sorry, in the Sweet 16, 1996. Mike Bianco is going to join us coming up next on the uh, on the Farm Bureau phone line. You can check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That's Farm Bureau. That website, favorites.com. You go there, type in your zip code, and it will give you the option to uh, to get a quote on car insurance or property insurance, or you can combine those into one quote and save money. You're doing business with people that you already know, folks that you go to church with, that you see at the ballpark, that you bump into at the grocery store. So it's people you know, people that you can trust at Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Companies. How about the NCAA tournament this year? Every one seed, every two seed, and every three seed made the Sweet 16 this year. It should make for a great weekend at the regional finals with the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. With that said, you didn't have much drama in the opening weekend. Right? I mean, we had three 12 seeds that won against five seeds, but outside of that, not a lot of drama. We had a 13 seed in UC Irvine that knocked Kansas State out. That doesn't really register. It wasn't like on some. There wasn't one of those crazy buzzer beaters. The most drama, the best game, probably the first four days was the UCF Duke game. Tennessee's game against Iowa was interesting, but it was interesting because Tennessee blew a 25 point lead. Kentucky, still not sure about PJ Washington, whether or not he's going to play this week. How about LSU? The LSU-Maryland game was a lot of fun on Saturday morning. LSU getting to the Sweet 16, and now Tony Benford's going to have to match wits. Tom Izzo. Ratings up 8% this year on the NCAA tournament. Just a few nuggets from the opening weekend. Mike Bianco joins us next on the Farm Bureau phone line at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Hey, Coach, you hear us okay? 
Yeah, I'm hearing you now. I didn't hear you earlier. So I'm there sorry. we go. Apologize for that. Um, just kind of your thoughts on the weekend. I, I would think, in a lot of ways, a disappointing weekend to, to go on the road and play some some close games, but only come away with one win. Uh, certainly. I mean, any time that you don't, you know, you know, win two out of three at least, uh, you know, I think it's disappointing. You know, uh, if you you want to stay in this race, you, know, you got to win two out of three or sweep. And uh, but it's tough. It's tough to win on the road in the SEC. Missouri's a tough place to play. But at the end of the day, we got to play better as a team. You know, we got to play again more consistently. And you know, we played a game on Friday night that we we felt we should have won. We pitched well enough to win. We just uh, didn't do enough offensively. Uh, of course, got a great game out of Doug Nikhazy on Saturday, and Crazy was able to close it out for us. And then, you know, on Sunday, it was one of those games where it looked like it was going to be our day offensively, and, you know, on the mound, uh, two innings we couldn't get off the field. We give up two crooked numbers, and, and then you look up at the end of the day, just not enough, you know, offense. You know, but, you know, once again, we don't get double digit hits, and we only end up with five runs. Another solid outing from Will Etheridge. Has that reached the point where it's not even really a relevant question to kind of ask what you expect from him because he's giving a high-level performance pretty much every time he steps on the mound? I think so, and I think you're exactly right. And you know, I respect what you're saying. I mean, but but I understand as well. You know, here's a kid that um, you know never was really a, a starter in the program. Had a lot of success as a as a reliever. Uh, we don't return any of the you know weekend starters. You know, he's you know, written in as the Friday night guy. He pitches terrific his first outing. Then he comes down with a blister. Then he kind of has you know, two little short you know starts. You know, uh, after that, uh, but. Really Really, you, I think what you said is is right on the button. I mean, he's been dominant and, and really has pitched well every time out. And so that's one thing I think we're, you know, we're pretty confident in is what we're doing on Friday night. You elected to make a change in the in the game two starter, and you alluded to the fact a second ago that, that Doug Nikhazy, you know, pitched really really well. Did you sense that that was coming, or was there some kind of oh we got to wait and see how he handles an SEC stage as a starter? Well, you don't put them out there unless you think they can do it. I mean, that's number one. It's too, too important of a position to just take chances, especially in conference play. But, you know, uh, Doug's pitched well just about every outing he's been out there. And, you know, I've been really impressed. And going into the season, he was one of the guys that, you know, was a possible weekend starter, you know, coming out of the fall. And uh, we elected to put him in the bullpen. He was terrific there. Then he got a couple midweek starts, Richard, against East Carolina and Louisville. And because we didn't win those games, I think you know not many people remember that he pitched extremely well in both games against you know basically two top ten teams. Uh, but uh, so thought he, you know, we needed a shot in the arm, uh, so to speak, and, and and really thought he he could be the guy to do that. Mike Bianco on your radio talking some Ole Miss baseball. Rebels lost two of three at Missouri this weekend. They will stay on the road with a midweek game at Memphis and then go to Arkansas next weekend. Coach, you know the reputation for this offense coming into the season was was off the charts. You had people that cover the college game saying maybe the best offense in the entire country and, and maybe still will be in the long run, but there have been some struggles at the plate. Is there anything in particular that you can point to that, that has caused this offense to maybe not perform at the, the level that, that some thought it would? Oh, I think just 
the, the normal answer is, or the, the, the easy answer is, some guys haven't hit as well. I mean, uh, you know, that that's just part of it, you know. And, and you can dissect it all you want, but but at the end of the day, you know, we got off to a, you know, a pretty good start. We were hitting through the first 14 games. We were hitting over 300, producing a lot of runs. Last 11 games, we've hit about 250. And uh, we've actually pitched, you know, at a, a really good clip under in those 11 games. Actually pitched, you know, under a three ERA. We just, you know, haven't, you know, haven't swung it as well. And some guys have cooled off. And, and hitting can can be like that, as you know. Hitting, you know, is contagious, as people say, but also can be a little up and down. But this offense, to this point, through 25 games in the season, has scored, you know, uh, over a run more game than last year's offense at this time. You know, so, you know, it's not like this offense has been poor. We just have been a little streaky. We got off to a great start, then we cooled down, and we just got to get, you know, two more guys in the lineup. But I think that's one of the things, the, the true answer, what you're looking for. Throughout the lineup, we got to be a little more productive. We, we've been a little top-heavy, and we got to swing it a little bit better, you know, at the, at the bottom of the lineup. Yeah, it feels like baseball is different that, than some sports because it's such a long season that, that you may have some peaks and valleys throughout the course of the year, and yet when you get to the end of the season, it's the teams that are playing the best and like, I don't know, the last month of the season are kind of rolling into postseason play that seem to make you know deep runs. Do you see the, the makeup in this team as a team that, okay, maybe they're not playing their best right now, but they can hit a spot and then just kind of kind of press the pedal down? No, I don't think uh, you know, I have a doubt of that, or anybody on this team has a doubt of that. I get it. We've lost more games yet to this point than, than we thought we would. Uh, but, you know, everything that we want to do is in front of us. And, uh, yeah, we just got to play good baseball. And, you know, uh, we've got a lot of kids on this team that, you know, were part of a really good team last year. And uh, we, we, we've seen to, you know, be. Trending, I guess that's the phrase like people like to use. We're trending in the right way, you know, on the bound, uh, and uh, we know that we can hit. We know we can defend, and so we just need to be able to put it together and and, and play for an extended period of time some good baseball. We just, you know, last couple of weeks we haven't done that. Are you able once you get? within the confines of the season to kind of lock in and and not pay attention to anything that anybody's saying outside the program? Are you able to just kind of go tunnel vision and focus on nothing but baseball on your team? Uh, When you say other people, you're talking about like the media and... and, Well, uh, media or fans or whatever. I guess the backdrop for for what I was at would ask you you've created so much success around baseball that people's expectations are off the chart and so kind of going back to the long season thing people ride the the highs and lows of a season sure. I, I'm just wondering if you're able to kind of get past that and say <laughs> fans and media and whoever else are going to say what they want to we're just locked in on baseball. Yeah, uh, I don't have an issue with doing that. Yeah, because I don't read a lot of it. You know, I used to. When I first got here 19 years ago, I read all the newspapers and all of that because it was different. You know, I think what you guys did was, was different from a, from a media standpoint. Here, it's there's so much, like your show tonight, there's so much stuff out there um, that uh, I think sometimes it's just too much. You can't digest all of that stuff. And so at the end of the day, you know, we, we got to do and stay, you know, within the confines, as you put it, you know, the program do what's best for us. And I get it. Uh, you know, one of the things about the expectation, but one of the things I said a long time ago that my, my former boss, Skip Burpin, taught me, high expectations beat low reality any day of the week. And so, uh, you know, if people are expecting
continue to win, that that's good. That's a good problem to have. And you know, sometimes you know when you don't have success, you know, that's all right. People get frustrated. That that's part of it. That happens in good programs when people expect you to win. So we're okay with that. Yeah, uh, road swing continues. Go to Memphis this week, then you got to go on the road to Fayetteville. Always a, a difficult place to play. Big week and and plenty of challenge for you, I guess, in front over the the next seven days or so. No doubt, and you know it's always tough on the road, but that's you know sometimes where you find yourself and where you become a little tougher, and uh, sometimes you know, become the team that you want to you know become. So you know, go on the road to AutoZone, hopefully get some some Ole Miss fans up there in the Memphis area to get to come watch us play, and then you know move this weekend to play a very very good you know Arkansas team that's playing you know, their best baseball right now. You know uh, up in Fayetteville, I'm sure you know they're going to have ten thousand a game, so uh, it'll be a big challenge, but one I think we're ready. Pretty good environment on the road this weekend. Thanks so much for your time. We'll talk to you next week, Coach. All right. Thanks, Richard. That's Mike Bianco. Head base. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.